the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. All right, welcome listeners. A little bit different format today. We're going to talk about pre-participation physicals and some thoughts along those lines. I don't have a guest, so you've got me for the next 10 or so minutes. I wanted to talk about some things that I don't necessarily think about a lot when I'm doing these physicals, but I really should, and you should too, because they're important. I'm not a concussion specialist, although we do have one in our practice. And if someone is in the early stages of concussion, they really should be set out for 24 to 48 hours until they're having no symptoms. But if they continue after that, you really should get them in with a concussion specialist. Now, that being said, frequently I'll have someone that had a concussion a year ago, two years ago, no symptoms, headaches, no visual status, nothing like that. And I'll clear those folks. But if they've had multiple concussions, i.e. two or more, you really should have a neurologist or a concussion management specialist take a look at them and make sure they're okay. And I think that's very important. Another thing that we think about, and I usually mention this fairly often, is asthma. Somebody that has exercise-induced asthma or reactive airway disease, it really doesn't require further workup, but if somebody has exercise-induced asthma, I like them to have had an evaluation by the medical provider most people will have albuterol or some sort of rescue inhaler for that, even if they're not symptomatic routinely. But if they've had a history of that, it's really a good idea to make sure that they carry an extra in their gym bag or have one with an athletic trainer or their coach. That's one of the things that is an easy fix, but if you don't fix it, it could be a big problem. So consider that. And by the way, while we're going through this, this list is by no means meant to be exhaustive. It's just to remind you of some things. Musculoskeletal. That's what most of us do in orthopedics. I'm sure many of my colleagues have seen these sports physicals before. But, you know, it's not uncommon that I'll have somebody come in and they're still having problems and they haven't been released by their treating provider. And that could be another practice. You have to make sure that you don't release somebody. I actually did this once before I realized it. And they said, well, you signed it. Now we're good to go. But if somebody's still being treated and they're not released, by their provider, you really shouldn't release them. That's not your role. They should be seen by that provider. And all of these pre-participation forms will have a spot, you know, cleared to full activity or cleared for full activity if you meet certain criteria. The other thing about the musculoskeletal part is if somebody has had a couple of ankle sprains or they had a back injury a few weeks ago or they had a fracture or whatever, I'll do a little bit more dedicated exam to that part just to assess it. And it's not uncommon for me to actually check that patient in, not as a physical or the sports evaluation, but actually as a patient so I can get x-rays and make sure that it's okay. Let's talk about convulsive disorders and epilepsy. I don't think about that routinely, but if you see that, I mean, that's something you have to consider if you're going to clear this person. Generally speaking, I think if it's well-controlled, and I don't know the time frame that they might have had a seizure, but if it's well-controlled, there's really no restrictions except for activities like scuba diving or hang gliding or something like that. I can't tell you that I've done sports physicals for people doing scuba diving and hang gliding, but that's what I read in the literature, so I wanted to pass it along to you. If somebody's severely hypertensive, granted, I usually don't see this in the young athletes, but if they are, 
I'll have them lie down for five minutes and recheck their blood pressure. If it's still really high, you know, they, they got to have medical clearance. So we'll make sure to check that. If someone has a history of an eating disorder, psychiatric disorders, or substance abuse, you have to consider those things. Like with an eating disorder, there are certain types of athletes that this can be a problem. Boxers or wrestlers that are trying to make weight, dancers, figure skaters, cheerleading, where these things are really important with peer pressure and body shaming. I mean, you have to be aware of that. And of course, if someone's exhibiting psychiatric or has a history of substance abuse, they really should be clear before they move on. One of the things that I wanted to mention too, and this came up recently, which is kind of what gave me the idea for this, is sickle cell disease versus trait. I've never had this come up in my practice before, but I was recently doing a sports physical for an NCAA athlete, and his family member had sickle cell trait. So his school said he needs a sickle cell waiver. And I really didn't know what that was because I haven't done one before. That is not something that you generate from your practice. It's something that the school generates. If someone has a history of sickle cell trait, you really have to have them screened. If they have sickle cell trait, typically there's no restrictions, but if they have disease, it's limited to certain low-risk activities. In hemophilia, von Willebrand are restricted from collision and similar sports. The big thing about that is I wanted to pass along. If you ever need a sickle cell waiver, it comes from the school and not you. Other things, if somebody has any hepatosplenomegaly, I think it would have to be very protruding for me to be able to palpate it at this point. But if you find that you're concerned, certainly infection, hepatitis, those kinds of things are considerations. I know this is an orthopedic podcast, not a medical podcast, but bear with me because we have to think about these. The big thing is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It is a genetic mutation, and it's characterized by a thickening of the left ventricular wall. And there are different categories of that. I'm not a cardiology PA, so I'm not going to go through everything. But basically, if they have obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or HCM, it impedes the mitral valve opening. And they may have some symptoms, or they may have none at all, but it just depends on the severity. If a kid or an athlete is complaining of breathlessness, chest pain at rest, and with exertion, syncopal episodes, palpitations, any kind of lightheadedness, exertional fatigue, or just an overall lack of energy or edema in the extremities, you have to think about this. When you hear the stories about the athletes dying of sudden death, it's typically because of this and it's not known. So it's very important that you screen, even if they're not having symptoms, just ask one of the questions. Do you have asthma? Have you ever had a concussion? Throw this one in there. Has anyone in your family ever died of sudden cardiac death, i.e. anyone less than 50 that wasn't previously symptomatic? If that's the case, this person really needs workup, and they need an EKG and a cardiologist referral, maybe even an echocardiogram, but really make sure that you ask about that one. The most worrisome symptoms would be the dyspnea on exertion and chest pain. But, you know, like I said, you might not have those. So always think about that. Those are some of the basic things to think about. Now, if we talk about the physical exam, I tell new folks through the practice that it usually you can do a really good physical in like five, maybe 10 minutes. We typically have our medical assistants check vision, and if it's a contact sport or a collision sport and they wear glasses, it really should be shatterproof lenses. 
check the vital signs. I can't remember someone whose BP was this high, 160 over 100 or greater. If it is high, recheck it after they're supine. A lot of athletes will also have heart sounds that are not really pathologic. They're just functional murmurs. I won't go into the details of that or the pathophysiology behind it. You need to get out your PA books to read about that. But if they're unusually loud or harsh or exaggerated when they stand, that kind of thing, then it's never wrong to say, I hear something. You might want to get this checked before you go and then just make that note on the physical exam. I hear this all the time. No genital exams are on females and males only if there is a question. I'm sure there are plenty of people that have questions about appearance and all that. I typically don't do that. If there is any question or concern, then they need to see their primary care doc because that's kind of outside my wheelhouse. If I had to, I could check for a hernia, but honestly, I couldn't tell you if there was one or not because that's not something I do routinely. If there's a question, just have somebody else look. Don't forget about bradycardia. Somebody who's really athletic, runs a lot, they are going to have a slow heart rate, which is okay, as long as it's not causing them any limitations. The best way to think about the exam, in my opinion, is think of it like you're doing a pre-op evaluation. You know, you're checking the organ systems, you're doing a quick heart lung, checking the joints, range of motion, strength, joint stability. I'll usually check the knees, I'll check the elbows. And if there's a concern, like I'd said earlier, from a relatively recent injury or, or they have any concerns about anything, I'll ask and I'll do an exam on it and make sure that we cover it. The last thing that I'll leave you with is that from what I can tell, it's no longer required to check for scoliosis. I'm not really sure why that is. I have found many kids who have scoliosis and I'm the first one to find it. So I would say even if it's not recommended by the guidelines, might as well check it. If it's obvious, you know, get them in with a spine person. All right. Well, that's all I've got for today. I just wanted to go over some basics of the pre-participation physical. I hope you find it helpful. And if you like these, where we just do a quick me discussing something relevant to the PA practice, we might do some more of these in the future. If you hate it and you really want to hear the other person talking and me just asking the questions, we can certainly do that format as well. So let us know. Drop us a line. Let us know how we're doing. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please visit paos.org where members can purchase virtual CME content. This is accessed by clicking on the CME tab on the title bar and following the Learning Center. For non-members, please visit the aapa.org Learning Central for the PAOS virtual content.